Well, hey everyone, welcome to my home. Uh, we're in a series at the moment called Prayers God Loves to Answer. And today I'm taking on the prayer, God save the nations. Now uh, you might think that sounds like a pretty large prayer and you're not wrong. Um, this prayer matches up with our God's huge heart for every nation of the world. His vision for the whole earth. And the psalmist that we're going to look at, he prays that God may be made known, praised and enjoyed by all people everywhere. He reminds us that there's not actually a corner of this earth, of this whole earth, that he doesn't want his glory to touch, that he doesn't want to be made known. And if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, um, this prayer, you might think that's a, that's a bold claim. And it is, it's a bold claim for you to grapple with this morning because the God, the Christian God, isn't just wanting to be known by a few, you know, like a small pocket of people over here or a small group of people in this country over here who just happen to find his claims interesting or appealing. The psalmist is saying that God's love and truth is for all people, that his truth is universally true for everyone. See, prayers like this teach and remind us just how big and powerful God is, just the scale of his vision for the whole earth. And we're going to read from Psalm 67. So if you've got a Bible with you, then you want to turn to that. Psalm 67, we're going to read verses 1 to 5. It's going to be read by a few different people. They'll appear on the screen and so will the words. So let's read together. Thanks to everyone who read there. I love this prayer, but if I'm honest, it also challenges me. It challenges my own prayer life, and I wonder if it challenges you too. Here's why, because often my prayer life can be reduced to prayers like this. God, please help my children sleep through the night. God, please take this headache away or this cold away. God, please give us a safe journey to our parents this weekend. Not this weekend, but you know what I mean. God, please help me finish this recording before my daughter runs in and makes the whole place chaos. That prayer is real right now. Now, listen, I don't think any of those prayers are necessarily bad prayers. You know, God cares about the small details of our lives. He really does. But there's just so much more we could be praying for. But here's our problem. Here's what happens. We can become preoccupied with the things that are right in front of us. So even though we agree with the psalmist, we know that God's heart is for the nations. It's like they're just almost out of sight, out of mind. And the things that shout loudest are the things that demand our immediate attention. That's what our gaze is on. But the problem is the things that shout loudest aren't always the most important, aren't they? And things can get lost Really important things can get lost just because they don't have our attention. See, it's almost like we can live with blinkers on. It's almost like the big picture of God's vision and, and plan for the whole earth. Can We can kind of minimise it and just look at what's right in front of us. See, we need bold prayers like Psalm 67 because it reminds us just that our God is the God who can change nations. That that's how powerful he is. And that's who we get to pray to. And that's, he's the one who has a plan for the world that is far bigger than often we make it. You see, if you trusted in Jesus, if you've put your hope in him, you've become an heir to a promise that reaches 
beyond your immediate circumstances. So yes, it reaches to your immediate circumstances, but it also reaches beyond them to the nations of the world. That's incredible. It's a huge promise that when you trust in Jesus, you receive all that he has for you, his, his love, his peace, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his power. But when you receive those things, it's almost like one of two things can happen to us. We can either become a bit like a container. See, this is a container. This is actually a glass of water that I'm enjoying right now. It's really helpful. And it's really helpful because water goes in and, and nothing comes out. It has an in, it doesn't have an out. But all that goes in, it just stays there. If you think this is your life, if you think all of what God has for you, all the things I just listed, his mercy, his grace, his power, if they go into a container, they just stay there. And after a while, our lives can maybe become a little bit stagnant. Like if I left this glass of water for a long time, you wouldn't really want to drink it, you know, months or I'm talking about. It becomes a bit dry, a bit stagnant, a bit old. And that's because that can, ha that can also happen with our Christian lives because we weren't created to be containers. We were created to be far more like funnels. Here is a funnel. And this funnel has an in, but it also has an out, which means whatever goes into it, yes, this funnel experiences it, it passes, but it also passes through it. And this is far more what our Christian lives are to be like. We're to be conduits, we're to be funnels of all God has for us, that yes, we enjoy it for ourselves, but it also passes through us, passes through our lives onto others. And we pick this up in just verse one of this psalm. You can even have a look now. Verse one says this, and it shows us that there is um, something intrinsically tied. God's purposes are intrinsically tied to the blessing that we receive and the grace we receive, that there's purpose in it. Verse one says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us so that, so that, your ways may be known on earth, your salvation to all nations. See, there is purpose in the blessing that goes beyond just enjoying the blessing itself. And it's this theme that runs through scripture, which we're going to pick up on in a moment of being blessed to be a blessing to others. The purpose of a funnel is to pass things on. It's to get whatever needs to get to where it needs to get to. And in this case, it's petrol, to my car when I'm stranded on the side of a road, gets it into my engine and gets me going again. But it shows us this idea, this, this image that we're to be a part of something much bigger. We're to play a role in something much bigger. And in this case, in Psalm 67, it is God's glory, it is his love being made known to the nations and he wants to include us, he includes us in that. So what's the answer? How can we not succumb to the nations being out of sight, out of mind, just being distracted by whatever's just right in front of us? How can we have this big picture? How can God bring the nations into our line of sight? I want to suggest that it starts with prayer, that prayer brings the nations near, that in prayer he shares something of his heart for all people with us. That's what the psalmist does. The psalmist takes God's covenant promise for the whole world and he prays it into reality for his generation. 
You see, by drawing our attention to this connection between being blessed to be a blessing, the psalmist is rooting his prayer in Genesis 12. So the very first book of the Bible, he's rooting his prayer in God's promises to a man named Abraham, who we later know him as Abraham, about 6,000 years ago, who God chooses to be a blessing to all the nations. Just this small family in the Middle East, this unbelieving family says, I'm going to reveal myself to you, not because of anything you've done, but because of who I am. I'm going to show you the blueprint for the whole earth, that all of the nations are going to be blessed through you. And man, he couldn't believe it. And it, and it sounds crazy, but that was God's plan. And it didn't always happen that way, but that was his intention. So this prayer in Psalm 67, it's not just hanging in the air. It's not a brand new idea. It's rooted in a promise all the way back at the start of scripture. It's rooted in a promise to Abraham. And the psalmist hasn't forgotten God's promise to save the nations. So when he grabs hold of it, that's exactly what he does. He grabs hold of it and he prays it for his generation. And that's what we're to do. Just as he takes hold of Genesis 12 and says, this promise, I'm praying it for my generation. We're over here and we're to take hold of Psalm 67 and say, we're going to do the same with that too. That's what we're to do with all of God's promises, I think. They're not just, you know, like nice pieces of art on a wall to be admired. Like, oh, that's a nice promise. They're to be taken hold of. They're to be prayed into reality. God wants to partner with us in that way. So firstly, God brings the nations near in prayer. But secondly, there is power in proximity. That, and this is what I mean. As the nations are being are brought near in prayer, something will happen to us. Suddenly, you'll start to care more. They won't feel quite as maybe abstract or far away, some of the situations that you hear about all of a sudden, they'll start to feel close. And in my experience, it's pretty impossible to get near to somebody who's struggling or to get informed about a really hard situation around the world, like properly informed and engage with it and stay unaffected by it. See, when you're not looking at something, when we're, when we're kind of holding something at arm's distance or we're just distracted by what's in front on, going on in front of us, it's pretty easy to ignore things, isn't it? But when you engage with something for long enough, like when you look at it regularly, when you look at it for long enough, when you engage with it, compassion arises. Um, there's this guy called Brian Stevenson. He was a US lawyer who prioritized representing people from tough backgrounds. And he said this to a recent graduation class. He said, if you want to be a part of seeing change, you have to get proximate. You have to get close to those who are struggling to hard situations, to get close to those who are excluded, the marginalized, those dealing with inequality and injustice. And if you do that, if you find ways to get close, you will also find that there is power in proximity. You know, right now, I think we need to engage with the fact that the truth is this crisis will affect the poorest nations around the world the most. They will be the ones who are hit hardest. And I am not wanting for a moment to be minimising the effects that this virus is going to have in this country. But the truth is, truth is, for many nations, catching COVID-19 just isn't the biggest problem that they face, not by a long shot. Um, we got to send a good friend at Mosaic called Sarah um, to Lebanon um, just a few years ago. And she's now part of a church plant there. And I was in touch with her this week just about the situation on the ground there. 
And here's what she said. I just wanted to share just a little bit of it with you. She says this. Lebanon is a country on the brink of starvation, of famine. There are rumours of war with the country south of us. Half of the population are now living below the poverty line. Few people are paying rent. Most are indebted to their local shops for the food they need. The government is unable to give any out any sort of handouts to people. With the fear of more of the population dying of starvation rather than the virus, the government has started opening up the country in order to help people find, hopefully find work. As a result, a local friend and I have tried to give out food to families we know. There was a family, three kids, two adults, who were living on bread, water and herbs as their one meal a day. Another family said they would rather die than say they are in need. Often the shame that is attached to saying you can't provide for your family and the pain that comes with it is just as um, acute as they feel about the starvation they feel. So we just have to choose and guess who needs food. We're trusting God to lead us in that way, trusting him to lead us to the people in most need. And we're trusting him for the people of Lebanon and of the world during this hard time. Um, as I read that, I think now is the time for the church to have a global mindset and prayer life. If there was ever a time, it's now. Like We need to engage with this. So what does it look like for us to play our roles, for us to get proximate, for us to be funnels of the resources that we have, funnels for prayer for the nations? Um, a couple of really practical things. Be intentional and have a prayer plan. You know, if we don't intentionally plan to pray for the nations, uh, we'll just be guided by the news. And though, of course, as things arise and as things are reported on, like it's important to pray for those things. But often if all we are guided by is by the news, then uh, there's a, always a particular narrative, pol political narrative maybe that's attached to the story or, or it's told from a certain angle, which leads us just to feeling like things are just hopeless. It leads to more despair, not prayer. When talking over dinner with Beth just this week as I was preparing, Beth said very honestly, um, I was just talking about there's just the scale of God's promises and how we're to partner with him in prayer. And, and she said, man, sometimes though it just feels overwhelming. Uh, it feels like to take on all the world's problems and just to get on with the day-to-day -day stuff of life. And I know exactly what she was getting at. Um, it's so important that we remember who it is that made has made this promise to save the nations, who it is that's promising to bring it to completion that it's God, he carries the weight, but he invites us to partner with him. You know, I think it's so helpful to also have a map. Have a map like this, have something that just helps you gain perspective. Because when you get sucked in just to the here and the now, you just say, how, wow, look how small we are just, just in the big picture. It helps, helpful for gaining perspective. Uh, there are some really helpful apps out there. There's one called the Joshua Project, and it gives you key facts about different nations, the issues that they're facing, and just how many people are reached in that nation, how many people are unreached for the message of Jesus, and it can help guide your prayers in that way too. You could also pray the truth over the people we've sent. 
God's truth of Psalm 67. You could pray that for people like Sarah, for those who have gone to other nations to be a part of starting churches there. Pray, pray God's truth over them and the places that they now call home. You can give. You can be really practical. There's at the moment, you know, we're a part of um, Catalyst, and Catalyst is the family of churches we're a part of. But there's a fund at the moment, a crisis fund, which is really enabling us to give to the countries where we have connections, churches there who are in greatest need. And as well as prayer, this is a brilliant way you can contribute. You can feel connected to what God's doing in the nations with your finances, with your resources. You know, sometimes we can feel a bit lost as to how to make a difference. You know, you might say, Rich, I want to be a funnel for the nations. I want to play my part, but it all feels quite far away. And, and what can I actually do? You know, by giving, by giving of your resources, that's one thing you can do. I imagine it like this. Imagine um, God being known and praised and enjoyed through the whole earth. It's like a thousand piece jigsaw and it's completed and it looks beautiful. And for lots of us, we can think, well, what does it look like for me to put my piece down, to play my part? And we all have a piece. We all have a role to play. But often we can just not know how to play it. These are some of the ways you can play, you put your piece down. This is some of the ways you can be a part of what God is doing in those countries. See, for some of us, it's to go long term, to actually physically go. But for many of us, it's to give, it's to support those on the ground, and it's to pray and uphold them in prayer. Just some practical things we can engage with at this time. Finally, though, I want to ask a question. What will we see and experience as a community as we bring the nations near in prayer? Like, as we get close to this, as we take the truth of this psalm seriously, what can we experience in our community? I think we can experience two things, greater beauty and greater brokenness, and probably both at the same time. Here's what I mean. Greater beauty because the church's beauty is found in her diversity of people who find God glorious. John Piper, who writes in Let the Nations Be Glad, he's a pastor and an author, he says this, there is something about God that is so deeply sorry, that is so universally praiseworthy and so profoundly beautiful, so comprehensively worthy and deeply satisfying that God will find passionate admirers in every diverse people group in the world. His true greatness will be manifest in the breadth of the diversity of those who perceive and cherish his beauty. See, God's glory is magnified in the diversity of people who worship him. And our desire and our prayer at Mosaic is that we would grow in diversity. And we're not there yet, not by a long way, but we can't take this prayer seriously and not pray for and plan for increased diversity in our church family. So as we take this prayer seriously, as we bring the nations near, I think we'll experience greater beauty, but also brokenness. We can't bring the nations near and not feel something of their pain, the trouble and their fears. You can't get close and remain unchanged. See, about two years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Iraq and to visit and encourage some churches and some uh, pastors there. And people who are caring for those who have been affected by the war against ISIS and just the devastation that's been left in its wake. 
I still remember sitting down with this family of six who had lost their home and their livelihood. And they were now camping out on the top floor of a shopping complex. So right at the very top, just this makeshift home, loads of different people living there, all in these uh, little quarters. And we sat with them and we talked with them for about an hour. And every time I hear about Iraq now, I see those, those families' faces. And I see something of the pain. I see something of the hope that they had as they told me, man, we've lost everything but the one who holds everything together, Jesus. You can't bring the nations near and remain unchanged. So, listen, as God shares his heart for the nations with us, for the millions around the world who don't yet know him, for war-torn countries, for those who where the church is hanging on by their fingernails. As he shares his heart for those places with us, we want to pray, God, would you break us for your purposes again? And as he does it, as he does that, we're not to pull away. We're not to uh, fear it, but we're to embrace it. Because after all, we follow the one who was broken for the sake of the world. And it's him who says, come and follow me. So look, Jesus, we want to take on your concerns. We want to have your priorities as a church. That's what I want to pray for us now. Lord Jesus, thank you that um, you promised to use us as part of your big plan. Lord, you say that I want to use Mosaic. I want to use your church to bless the nations to bless the nations of the world. And Lord, we pray now for the churches that are in all of the different countries that we're praying for. We pray for all the different people that we have sent. We pray, Lord, that you would help us um, bring the nations regularly into our line of sight, into our view, into our prayer life. Lord, help us as we um, give to them, help us as we play our role in seeing the nations blessed by you. Lord, thank you for the fact that you choose to use us in this way. Lord, I pray that you would grow our compassion for the nations of the world. In your name. Amen.